My mom always said, life was like a box of chocolates. Welcome back to Talkin' Tom, the Podhanks Tomcast. I'm Daniel. I'm Josie. And this is Minisode 3. Are we already at 3? We're at number 3. And we're still, we're doing Uncommon Type Stories 5 and 6. Welcome to Mars in a Month on Green Street. I liked these ones. These are really good. These were, these are some beefy ones. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to digest. So, before we talk about mm. the stories, there's kind of an update in your reading situation. I had, a, I had a shift of how I'm intaking this book, which was uh, a physical book, and now <laughs> is a combination of the book and the audio book, because I've been stretched for time. Well, you've been wanting to get the audio book for a while. Yeah, I wanted it because Tom Hanks reads the audio book. So, my first plan was read the book, then read it again with his audio book, but now I can just kind of go back and forth. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird to hear him read to you and do voices because it kind of sounds, it makes like a bedtime story almost. Oh my God. I would fall asleep. Yeah. Not good when I'm driving, but, (laughs) um, no, it's cool. There's, it's interesting to, cause I let him, I reread some of the first parts with the audiobook on while I was driving and hearing the inflection, he reads stuff sort of changes how I took some of the stuff. So it's kind of an interesting reread to hear it from someone else, especially the author and hear the exact intent of dialogue and things of that nature. So it's, it's cool. I definitely, I mean, I'm sure you will end up back yeah. with that audiobook. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> My, like crazy weird life. Um, are you a big reader? I am a big reader. I love to read since I was a, a wee lad. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, me too. I grew up, I wasn't ever allowed to watch as much TV as I wanted. Mm-hmm. So I would just read books like nobody's business. Yeah, I love it was great for like car trips and any type of traveling. And mm-hmm. um, I always read before I go to sleep. It helps me kind of get ready for bed. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't have as much time as I would like to dedicate to reading, so it takes me a lot of time to get through a book. So I've got a library card and the library system with the amount of audiobooks you can check out, which I read an essay how audiobooks trigger the same part of your brain that reading does. So it's not, you're not losing anything except for you can pace when you read, you can pace it your own way. And, have it in your imagination, your own way, kind of with your the, the the inflection of how you read it. So that's the only real difference I've noticed. Yeah, so it's just basically as beneficial. It just yeah, it's nice, and it helps. Okay. I feel like it makes the commute fly by because mm-hmm. you just daydream and safely daydream and <laughs> make it home. It's cool. nice. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm nursing a little bit of a sore throat today, so if my voice sounds way cooler than normal, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Do you want to get started? Let's get started. Welcome to Mars. A misleading title. It is. I think intentionally. This one's about a 19-year-old gentleman named Kirk or something, right? Yeah, Kirk. Kirk. Allen, Allen. And it's kind of a coming-of-age story, right? It's a coming-of-age and father-son relationship. Sort of that weird chunk of life where you get to know your parents is more than your parents. Yeah. We kind of eventually have to realize that adults are just 
like bigger versions of us. Yeah, and I think it's smart to set him as as being nineteen, so he's like out of high school, but still living at home. So there's that weird sort of stage of he's supposed to kind of grow up and like figuring that out, but at the same time, like his dad is doing things yeah. that he's sort of having his own type of thing where he has a life he's living that his son is not used to or like wasn't into because it wasn't cool when he was a teenager. Yeah. So we get a lot of backstory about this family. Um, starting with as they're eating their, as the father and son are eating their breakfast. Yes. Before we talk about the family. Let's talk, talk about, about the breakfast. This is a divine scene. I mean, Tom Hanks is a treasure. <laughs> it's kind of like food porn so in verbal form. Yeah, it's the most like, it's just like Americana. Like it, it is an accurate, breakfast is the best meal. Not necessarily for breakfast, but breakfast any time of day is my favorite meal. Oh. So, I don't know, the description was, it's like a Studio Ghibli movie. Oh. Like animation, like cartoon animation, just the most beautiful food. Mm-hmm. The way he describes the toast and the coffee pot and things being like flipped and served and warm and it, it's lovely. Yeah, I think that's clearly he has seen that happen a lot. Or maybe he's the chef and does that's that That's what I think. I think... Yeah. There's just too much knowledge of the intricacies of it to not have an involvement in it. How pure is that? Breakfast is the purest. I don't... I mean, God, I'll eat just like a date or something in the morning. Like, I (laughs) am the worst. No, I need my breakfast. (sighs) I need my breakfast. Um, So, basically, this story is about... It is Kirk's birthday, mm -hmm. but he's living in the real world, so he's got a job, so he can't really do birthday stuff, and birthday stuff isn't that cool. It's for babies. Yeah. So, but his dad pitches an idea about his birthday to go to Mars, which is not the planet, but a beach by their, the town they live in. Mm-hmm. And he wants to go surf, which Kirk hasn't done since he was a young kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's them surfing together, I think. Yeah, it's a father-son day. Well, it starts as a father-son day, but <sighs> sort of shifts. Um, yeah. And a lot of the time is spent sort of in just kind of about their routine and how that routine has shifted and who they kind of are now and who they kind of were then. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of coming to do something they haven't done together since he was, I think, 13. Uh-huh. And sort of how he looks at that now with through like nostalgic glasses versus the reality of now. Mm-hmm. Which ends up being like him surfing alone for a while as his dad goes away to quote unquote make a business call. Right. And um, I don't know, it seems just like sort of them getting to know each other in ways they didn't know each other. Yeah, we find out that Kirk, and these are just like little snippets that we find out about Kirk. He, It says, Kirk loves his mom and his sisters as dearly as life itself. So we know he's very close with his mom yes. and his two sisters. We find out that mom, um, there's a section that says, these days mom slept so late she was never seen at breakfast. So it's not that mom isn't present, but she's just, everybody's got other things they're doing, yeah. I think. And you sort of unfold what dad is up to that may be leading to that sort of lack of presence with mom. The ultimate reveal is that dad is seeing another woman. Yeah, he's he's stepping out on mom. Yeah, and at a place that, at the beach, near the beach, the Mars beach, which is sort of the sacred ground to them, is like where he's doing it because mom doesn't go there. And this all happens after Kirk's been surfing and sort of kind of 
trying to figure out his connection with his dad and also figure out kind of where his headspace is in life. And he ends up getting injured and has to kind of go look for his father as a way to get, you know, his caretaker almost. So like, dad will help me through this. Other people offer to help him and he's like, no, my, my dad's going to take me to the hospital or whatever. So it's, it's kind of, it's a little sad. It is. I remember the first time I read this one, I was on a plane to Mississippi and I was reading it and I was just like, Oh no, (laughs) this is a lot sadder than I had bargained for. Yeah, it starts off with just sort of like intimate details into their life, and then you gradually realize that it's going to take a turn. Not, and it's it's interesting because it's not like some crazy twist that like catches you off guard. It's just sort of like this really honest twist about Mm -hmm. this is the shift that's happening, and you don't really get into his headspace of how he, what he thinks about it. Mm -mm. You just sort of spend time with him thinking about it, but you don't get to read his mind. Yeah, we're with Kirk as he kind of puts the pieces together, like a, a certain coffee drink that his dad always gets has yeah. been ordered by a woman at the coffee shop. And then he sees his dad's watch in the rearview mirror. There's like little pieces. And it. I agree, it's hard to tell how he really feels about it, other than at the very end he says that this is the last time he'll ever be at Mars Beach. Yeah, I think that this location has sort of been tainted and like it is now a moment in his life and he doesn't ever want to revisit it. Well, I feel like we should talk about something that I love in any movie or television show. I've probably talked about this before. I love male friendships. Mm -hmm. Like I think there's some, because female friendships are so almost obvious and maybe because I am a woman, it's like easy for me to pick up on them and grasp them and understand them. But male friendships are almost like, like a enigma is that the word they sort of i think a lot of media likes to make it a comedic thing where like the friendships played up for a lot of jokes anytime you get something that is heartfelt and real kind of can take you by surprise sometimes yeah i'm sort of like what goes into a friendship and like why these are important like every it's funny sometimes the people are funny that's friends but i feel as if sometimes they exaggerate things rather than make it I don't know, the intimate bond of mm-hmm. boys that are close, and father and son. Yeah, especially. there's something so special about it. And and we're socialized and we're taught that men aren't allowed to experiencing, experience this like closeness and tightness because it's maybe too feminine or it's it's not masculine enough. But there's some there's something like unspoken about these two, about this father who who expresses through the narration that he is looking forward to spending time with his college son yeah. who's normally too old and too cool like he was surprised when his son wanted to go surfing and the son is doesn't really know much about his dad but he's flattered when he gets him a cool watch for his birthday there's just so many things I think with, with this pairing specifically with Kirk and his father there's so much left unsaid between them and and it's almost it's a shame because they could both benefit from talking to each other. Yeah, it actually it ties in with the movie we watched um, last week for Nothing in Common, yeah. which is a father-son relationship. And sort of generational, how what a father's expectation was as a breadwinner and as a father and the relationship with the son. This seems to be a different sort of relationship, a further relationship of a father who like wants a friendship with his son and is sort of treading the water of how to figure out what that friendship's going to be. 
mm-hmm. but at the same time, like living his life how he wants to live it. Um, it's really interesting. Yeah, I feel like it breaks a lot of. It goes. It actively goes against a lot of stereotypes of father son stories and sort of makes it feel real and lived in instead of a, a cliche. Yeah, and I think we'll keep finding that as we read more from Tom because I think so much of his own personal experiences have shaped this book. To me, at least. I'm Obviously, I'll say this every day on this show <laughs> that I don't know Tom Hanks. <laughs> I probably unfair to make these assumptions, but it's hard to ignore that some there's some... He... He understands this source material. He knows what it's like to be a father. We know he's a father. Yeah. I didn't find the typewriter in this one. Oh, the... I found it. Where? That is... It's in, it's in the first paragraph. Oh. Um, <laughs> the typewriter is mentioned sort of offhand as in a basement, which is Kirk's... Um, Typewriter is sort of mentioned offhand. It's in a back bedroom where Kirk stays that shares like a Maytag washer and dryer and an old piano and sewing machine. And uh, it says an electric typewriter that had been rendered inoperable when Kirk spilled a root beer float into its innards. Oh. I don't know much about typewriters or their inner workings, but I don't imagine root beer is mm, good sticky. for anything. Yeah. yeah, messy. I like that. I like, well, obviously I missed it. I read this short story like three times. That's not a joke. Um, and I can't believe I missed it. Too fast, I think. I'm a too quick of a reader sometimes. Ooh, some page ASMR. <laughs> Anything else? Um, did you like this one? Oh, yeah, I did like this one. Yeah. This is, again, like another shift in tone mm-hmm. and different age groups and different time periods and mixing in... I don't know, the, the the mix of short stories, which all seem to mostly be around relationships, whether with people or machines, such as the, the press one, there's always, it seems, everything so far is centered around relationships in all different assets, mm-hmm. whether platonic or um, the other kind. I wonder what happens to their family. I feel like it'll be, I, I kind of feel like Kirk seems like the kind of guy who's going to be this unspoken thing that he never brings up, but it kind of shifts his opinion yeah, his, his relationship dad. with yeah. his dad has changed for sure. Forever. All right. Well, the next story. Um, a month on Green Street. Can you see I put little hearts next to this one? Did you like this one? I a spoiler? love this story. This is like the flip-flop. We, uh, had, we had father and son, and now we have divorced mother. Yes. Maybe she's the mom in the story. Oh, she's, yeah. You totally, I don't think so, because no, the, kids the kids are much are too young. young. But... But there, keep the narratives connected. I love when Tom writes from the perspective as a woman. He, there's some nuances I think that are, that are left out. But this character Betty or Bet, I'm sure it's Betty. With, it wouldn't be Bet. No, I think it's pronounced Bet in the audiobook. Oh, it is. Yeah, I've never heard. Oh, weird. Okay, well, I guess Bet Midler is a name. <laughs> I just, I've, yeah, I've rarely heard it spoken that way, but... So this is kind of a slow burn romance. Yeah. Um, An un... A, sort of a a fight against the idea of romance that turns into a romance. Yeah, this is essentially what will probably happen to me. What's interesting, too, because the romance is sort of played... 
I guess we should explain the story, the idea of the story first. You want to give the synopsis? Sure, yeah. <laughs> so Bette Monk is, like you said, a divorced mother who has moved with the, what is it, not stipend, what, whatever the money she's gotten in the divorce, and she purchases a home on Green Street. It's a much quieter neighborhood compared to the busy apartment that she, or the townhouse she used to live in with her husband and all their kids. There's tons of space, and she's got this unique ability to kind of um, predict the future. And that's not really fleshed out too much. We find out um, she sees visions in pops, and that's, I can only imagine how Tom performs that in the audiobook. Yeah, it's, it's like a, a mini yell. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying. Um, and it's not so much that it's a, a mystical thing or she's some kind of like clairvoyant. I think they even say that in the, or he even says that in the book. It's it's more just like something she uses to like kind of intuition almost. Yeah, like and how it's she only ever sees and shapes the future almost. Yeah, it's not always right. Yeah, I think there's one notable time where she says it it wasn't right because she saw herself being a contestant on Jeopardy, but yeah, that never happened. Um, so in the process of moving in, Bette meets her neighbor Paul, and she judges him upon. The moment that she meets him, he's not wearing, he's wearing flip-flops. She thinks he's like super into her and she's dreading the fact that this man is showing her any kind of attention. She's a little arrogant. A little rude. A little rude, but only in her head, but also I guess outwardly too. I could like legitimately see this being a movie. Yeah, this would make a good movie or a good short film. Mm-hmm. You could base a lot, because it goes into a lot of detail about the families of the neighborhood and sort of their walks of life and like what these different cultures bring and why Green Street is so important to these people and why it is like the title of the piece, Beyond Just Being the Street That They're On. Green Street means something to them and is a community, not just a place where people live, but is a place where people live together. Mm-hmm. And her family, they're kind of accepted into the neighborhood quickly. Yeah. Their kids are invited over for dinner and they make friends. Yeah, they Paul's got a telescope he lets everybody look through. That's <laughs> like a pretty Paul. great street. <laughs> I know. I grew up on a cul-de-sac and I loved it. It we were always playing. It was safe. Um because it, it was like away from traffic. So mm-hmm. if there was a car coming, we had a big heads up. We had a basketball hoop. We were always playing a, a bunch of kids in the neighborhood and they were all my same age. Yeah, that was the same with ours. We would have, like, block parties yeah. where we had a police officer that lived on our street, so he would use his car and we'd block it, and we'd put, like, the trampoline in the middle of the road, and everyone would be barbecuing, and, like, everyone knew everyone, and everyone was, like, friends, and all of us were the same age, or within a few years, so we were all friends, and we'd go play and watch movies and play video games, and it was great. I don't even know my neighbors here. Well, I do now. We had a, a fire in our apartment <laughs> complex. Not my apartment, but in my <laughs> complex last night. And uh, so I met some of my neighbors outside while oh we God. waited and for the fire pajamas. to be put out. Yeah, it was just something. Oh, my God. I don't know if I would consider them friends yet, but I've seen them now. Yeah. I guess I do know the guy who lives next door to me. Because um, anytime, like, the plumbing in my apartment freaks out all the time. <laughs> and our ki- like our kitchens are next to each other. So every time oh, they flood, so he, he one suffers. of us will run over and be like, hey, the yeah. kitchen's flooding. <laughs> I like the, I liked the the nuances of this. I like that it's about someone with sort of we don't know really the circumstances. We don't know the circumstances of why she got divorced, right? He cheated on her. 
Okay, we do know the circumstances of why she got divorced. It happens through Pops. She tells it like she oh, fell yes. in love with him and then she saw him with another woman and then Pop. Then yes. Yeah. So she rightfully has a pretty pessimistic view on the world and men when she enters this home. Though it is interesting because she there's a point in the story where her ex-husband comes to visit and she gives him a tour. So mm-hmm. on some weird level, they're... Un- Amicable. Yeah. But the she comes in, I think, with the appropriate mindset if that had happened to you and sort of treats people as such and sort of the the neighborhood kind of breaks her down in a positive way to open up to these things because she thinks Paul is someone who's like, you know, oh, he's doing this different show off and he's really not. He's just a dude. Yeah, he's just a nice guy. Doesn't seem to have any ulterior motives. Yeah, and you, especially as it starts to dive into who Paul is beyond just the neighbor who dresses poorly. So what do we know about Paul? Paul is a teacher? Mm-hmm. At the Paul university. Is a, Paul is a teacher at the university. And he's obsessed with science. I think he's a science teacher. He teaches people how to build telescopes out of, like, household parts. And we also find out through a little episode where he drops his keys and leaves them and um, Bet finds them that he is a member of... N.A. Narcotics Anonymous. Yes, for 20 years. He's been 20 years clean. Mm. And so that sort of presents... Um, that sort of presents a lens into his world that Bet gets to see is sort of like just sort of where he came from and like why we meet his kids and sort of how he interacts with his kids and how his kids behave and you sort of see why he is how he is in like a really positive way. Like he brings a he brings another NA member home to live with him for a while who's sort of coming, I assume, sort of a freshly sober and sort of trying to stick with it type of thing. Mm-hmm. So you get kind of a deep dive into his psyche, and I think that lets Bet open up to him. I think the biggest contrast or the biggest thing that I can kind of, the connection that I can find is that Bet has let her intuition guide her or her, her ability or whatever this thing is. I think intuition is fair. Yeah. She's let that guide her and help her determine the choices that she makes, but she's almost, she relies on it too much because when she meets Paul, she instantly is like, written him off she yeah. she thinks he's like a homeless degenerate who is only going to try to fuck her i think that's even like she says that in the yeah. book um, it's weird to hear tom say that no <laughs> i feel like you're like better friends with him now than i am because <laughs> he's re- he's read to me uh. yeah um yeah i think she 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 thought her, her her pops were like written in stone as like the correct way and that I don't know, it was going to ruin friendships and relationships. Yeah, just the possibilities. Um, and ultimately, I think we're we're supposed to to see them together. Yeah. As she finds out more about his recovery, doesn't he become sober because he has a kid? Or it's something like that. Yeah, I think it was, the kid was 21, but he's been sober 20 years. So something happened. Um, I don't think we learned exactly what happened, did we? No, I, I think she just does that mental math yeah. and then her opinion has like completely changed. Yeah, it's so like he, he turns around to assumingly because of his kid. It's also nice because it doesn't paint it as like some type of romantic comedy type of thing. Mm-hmm. Like Paul doesn't win her over. Paul doesn't do anything except to be Paul and she sort of in her detective work figures out that she misread him and then has a change of opinion about him. And Yeah. She's got her guard up. Yeah. Understandable. Rightfully so. 
Um, but she kind of learns. And I, I don't think the lesson here is like, <laughs> stop, like just trust everybody blindly. Yeah. I don't think that's the message. It's more just like, wait it out and like use the information you have to draw a conclusion rather than just. It's like be a detective. Yeah. Great message. Honestly, Nancy Drew and Tom Hanks. Now, the typewriter in this one was a little easier. You want to yes. talk about that? Yes. So, in, in, as she's uncovering her new life in this new home, Bette is in her backyard drinking coffee, and she hears the sound. She thinks it's a woodpecker or something, but it turns out it's Paul in the backyard plugging away on an old typewriter, and it's just... In the time, it's so infuriating to her. She's already now having doubts about moving to Green Street. She's like, this is the one thing that's going to make it. She, again, Tom reads it he, every single... The plunk, plunk. Yeah. Bah, 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 bah. <laughs> um, what a gift. It doesn't, doesn't she call... Doesn't she refer to it something as a peckerhead in this one? Oh, yes, and I... Oh, man. We're basically just bridging this back to the movies. Back to volunteers. Oh, you know what scene? I read this one on the plane as well. Made me literally laugh out loud is when she comes downstairs and she says like hey there big boy and she's talking to her espresso espresso (laughs) (laughs) do you have an item in your you're a baker is there an item in your kitchen that you refer to by name i mean not big boy yeah that's not that like sexually repressed but i i think i do make coffee every morning i use pour over and my brother also got me a little uh, espresso percolator that i use i love coffee I'm not a coffee person. Sorry. I stopped. No, it's okay. We just probably won't speak ever again. Yeah, I'll just hit stop right now. I stopped drinking coffee for a little bit because it really made my anxiety like go off the charts, but I've been managing good. it. I like coffee flavored things. I know I actually secretly like coffee, but I don't need it in the mornings, and I have just decided that that is the best way to live right now. Totally. <laughs> I quit coffee last year, and I had migraines for like two straight weeks. No, thank you. Now back on it, baby. It's too good. I under, like. There are I have similar problems with other things. Mm. So if it's too good, it's not killing you. Yeah, we all got our things. Something that they talk a lot about in this is the eclipse. There's some kind of special eclipse happening. I'm sure it's not the big solar eclipse. It's like a partial lunar eclipse, I think. Yeah, but it reminded me of the solar eclipse that happened this summer. Mm-hmm. Did you get a chance to see it? Uh, I mean, I saw, we saw it from here, so okay. in Los Angeles. Mm. Uh, my old roommate is actually from Wyoming, which was in the path of the total eclipse. Yeah. Uh, so he got to go to his hometown to see it and said it was bonkers because, A, every hotel was booked like a year in advance. And the video I saw of that looked actively insane of just darkness. And it was very cool. Yeah. I was in Cleveland, Tennessee working over the summer and that is directly in the path of totality really so we had the whole day it was like it was a it was incredible i didn't think it was gonna be i was like not interested in it i didn't even buy the glasses luckily one of my coworkers had some it's that shit's crazy it literally turned night out cricket started chirping (laughs) it was so crazy that is pretty pretty sweet we were all literally just screaming and then we just started clapping so crazy nature yeah it was sort of like one moment in 2017 where like everyone in america was like on the same page of like this is awesome science is awesome we're on like the even playing fields and happy 
Yeah, we and got then a those brief. Those few minutes were over. Yeah, we got what five minutes. <laughs> so wait till the next one. Cool. Okay. You have anything else about this? No, I just thought I really, really enjoyed this. One. I liked this one a lot. I think I can empathize with Bet as a character, and I find this story to be. I want to read more. I wanted it. I didn't want it to be over. Yeah, I would like to come back, revisit these two. I wouldn't call them lovebirds, but these two neighbors. See where their life goes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that wraps it up for us. That's wrapping it. If you're interested in talking with us, if you're reading the book along with us and you want to continue the conversation, you can find us on our website, TalkinTom.com. That's Talking Without the G. Or on all of our social media and our new Facebook group. Facebook group. Um, and our social media handle is... Pod Hanks Tomcast. Look at us. We're on all of them. Look at us go. All right. So much energy. Look <laughs> at us go. Um, I think I already did this, but I'll do it again. My name is Josie. I'm Daniel. And thanks for, for listening. listening.